So I definitely employ a lot of what I learned in being a SEAL, which is at the end of the day. It's like, sounds like self-awareness. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Uh, so yeah, fake it till you make it is kind of what I've used. And I think that's helped me dramatically. And I think we, we definitely push on our guys and gals that come into elite meet. Like, look, stop worrying about not being well credentialed or being properly credentialed or not fully understanding the role that you do want to get into or you're interested in. Just be really stupidly confident about it. <laughs> I mean, like, don't go into something totally blind, but like, be prepared to like, just do it. Right? Like, that's kind of what you did to, to earn the insignia that you wear on your chest from the military. That is an applicable thing that people from these communities have. Adaptability is key for so many aspects of life, from running a business to maximizing your own personal talent and growth as an individual. I'm excited to speak with my friend, retired Navy SEAL, John Allen. He's the founder and CEO of Elite Meet, a nonprofit that helps members of our elite special operations community transition into the civilian world. John and I discuss how to succeed being in a new environment when you might feel out of your element, then posture syndrome and identity crises many veterans feel when they're transitioning back into society and actionable practical tips for improving presence and confidence in the workplace. This is a fun one. For the entirety of December, we're hooking up listeners with a 15% off our performance supplements line, a selection of supplements and nootropics that targets the essentials of energy, focus, memory, sleep, brain health, and metabolism. It's a well-rounded nootropic kit that is meant for anyone looking to take their performance and well-being to the next level. Of course, make sure you're on top of the fundamentals. That's sleep, nutrition, and exercise. There's a good chance you can get to 90% of where you want to be by optimizing those three basics. But HVMN performance supplements will aid you in getting that remaining 10% from human to superhuman. The link to the offer, www.hvmn.com slash pod, is also included in the show notes. As a podcast sponsored by the HVMN business, this is the best way to directly support the show and our work. Of course, writing reviews and sharing the show with your friends is just as appreciated as always. Without further ado, enjoy this episode of the HVMN podcast. John, hey, thanks for stopping by. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. So we met a year ago when Elite Meet, the nonprofit that you run, came into town to connect elite military operators transitioning to the civilian world. And mm -hmm. that was your second time in the city. So how was it this year? In many ways, it's the same kind of core mission that we were trying to accomplish last year, which, like you said, is connecting the elite class of veteran with screened really excellent employers but we're just way better at doing it now <laughs> i mean like last year we kind of dressed up the event like we knew what we were doing but this year it's like this thing was planned months out with through a team and the people that were there were very intentionally selected and already we're seeing guys getting offers and massive opportunity pouring out of this one so very excited about how this one yeah went. and we should talk about your work there and the team and the partners you've built up in that space but rewinding back you are a veteran mm -hmm. and you're a, a Navy SEAL. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I, I think in the public perception, these are the guys who killed all the bad people, probably the most 
famous, loud group of special operators. Good brand which might equity. be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who you talked to in the military. Sure. Curious to hear your story of how you got interested in that specific branch and your journey to get there. You know, no one accidentally becomes a Navy SEAL. And so for me, I grew up in Boston and I grew up in a house of like academics. Like education was success in many ways. And I stand behind education as a thing, but I went to college because I felt like I had to. I went to the University of Massachusetts and I studied English and philosophy because I was originally thinking about going to law school. But, you know, at some point in my college journey, I just was like, you know, I really don't want to be a lawyer. Don't even like the idea of having a nine to five job. I mean, this is my kind of like immature brain thinking, oh, no one wants a nine to five. I want to do something cool. And oddly enough, my mom, who's a librarian, she's like, hey, I happen to know these Navy SEALs that you should go talk to as you're thinking about what you're going to do with your life. It turns out that my mom's best friend, her two brothers are both SEALs. You didn't know that growing up. I mean, these are uncles, I knew they basically. were in the military, okay. and it was kind of like mind-blowing because I'm like, I know those guys. I had no idea that they were SEALs, huh. which added to kind of the allure and made this whole experience that much more kind of attractive. But I actually went up to meet with them in New Hampshire when I'm like just trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And I was suddenly surrounded by Navy SEALs, right? And it was like, I was so enamored with being around people that had earned every bit of the respect that they are given from everyone around them, right? It's like, they are not putting on airs. They're not like putting on a show. Just in virtue of being a SEAL, it demands such an enormous level of respect because they earned it. And for me, it was like, I want to do something in my life that just by saying this is what I do, everyone knows what it means, what went into that, that it was earned. And so I fell in love with the idea of being a SEAL, but you know, my family being very focused on going into higher education if you can and kind of like taking a stable job. And those are all good life principles. Yeah. But I was like, man, I really want to go try to be a SEAL. And so I kept telling my so family. So this is like you're 19, 20. Were you a college athlete? Were you a high school athlete? I played baseball okay. in high school, kind of blew out my arm and my career kind of fizzled out a little bit. Okay. But I remember I was telling my family, this is my like sophomore year in college. I was telling them that, you know, oh, yeah, I'm on path to law school. That's what I want to do. I have zero intention at this point yeah. of going to law school. I'm like, I'm going to go be a SEAL. And when I graduated, I very abruptly went to the recruiter's office and actually enlisted in the Navy. I didn't even do the officer route. Like I Whoa. have a college degree. But I was like, I just need to go to SEAL training because that's what I want to do. And my, my family's like, really? I thought you were like taking your law LSAT school. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I went to BUDS and then from there, you know, luckily became a SEAL. And I think that it's a mixture of luck and stupid determination. Luck because if you get hurt badly enough, you can't really finish. And right. that definitely happens to people. But you also need to go in with the actual visualization that you will become a SEAL. It can't be a... I hope this works out at your core when things are genuinely at their worst, because training makes you live at rock bottom for months and months at a time. You have to actually believe that this will work out in the end. And I think I had that going in. I was definitely not the best bud student. I was not the best athlete by any stretch, but I was stupidly determined to be a SEAL. I mean, it sounds like the mental aspect is what you credit towards carrying you through that. But I imagine that between that summer or that trip up to New Hampshire, you started thinking, okay, I better be preparing physically for that. Yeah. Did you have a lot of physical preparation? I mean, were you sort of start training? Did you start swimming? Did you just start doing the long runs? How did you gear up for buds? The other element of like kind of who I am as well is around the time that I went to New Hampshire and I met these SEALs, like about a month prior, I had on a whim run a marathon. Okay. No, no training. 
I was actually visiting family in Seattle and my dad kind of jokingly was like, because I, I like to run. He's like, hey, there's a marathon tomorrow. Why don't you run it? And I was like, okay. And I was like, I'll just push my flight because we we're supposed to leave that day. I'll, I'll just do the marathon. <laughs> my whole family's like, yeah, okay. And I was like, no, seriously, I'm, I'm going to run this marathon. Uh, and I ran it in, I think it was like three hours and 42 minutes, which is actually a pretty good time if Solid. you train. Yeah. And it like ruined me. My toenails fell off. I was oh, like, geez, oh, yeah. I took a red eye like that night home and I was yeah. like devastated. But what it did, it was, it was the first time that I was like, wow, it's because I wanted to do this. My body was able to do it. Right. So basically doing like eight minute miles for yeah. 26 miles. It was for... horrible. But that was horrible. That was like the last But like no miles. training at all. None. I mean, besides like I, I was in good shape, certainly, yeah. but like I'm not doing my long, slow distance runs to prep for this thing. I'm not right. like carbo loading or any of that stuff. I'm okay. just doing it. Yeah. But the reason I say that is so my training going in was just kind of impulsive and I tried to keep it structured, right? Because there are all these guides of like, these are the things you should be doing because you have to pass a screening test just to get a contract, which involves push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and running and swimming, kind of like using your own body weight, right? right? So like you have to be good at those things. So you prepared. It wasn't like, you know, John, it was just like a stud no. and came in with a super strong mental game, no. just went through buds. I prepared the way they tell you to prepare, which is, again, lots of running, lots of swimming, push-ups, sit-ups, okay. pull-ups. But I would also occasionally just go run a marathon. Like I'd go out for a run where it was like, I'm going to run, you know, today is my three-mile run. Right. And I would just keep running, which is not part of the training cycle, right? Right. But I'll, I'd just run like 13 miles. And like, I would just do stuff like that. So I had like the regiment. But I would also periodically just like go way beyond what is acceptable, probably risking injury to some degree, but testing my mind. Right. And you actually will see often with the people that go through SEAL training, it's like I'm like not even unusual to have run a marathon without training. That right. is actually a fairly common thing. Like, oh, you did that too? Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I ran three of those things without training. Yeah. So there's definitely like there's a regiment, but you also have to be able to push yourself beyond it and be really uncomfortable and get used to that feeling too. Okay, so basically everyone going to BUDS as at least at some level a reasonable physically fit person, right? You have oh, to yeah. pass some sort of uh, sit-up, push-up, run qualification. Yeah, the way that it works is you have to earn your contract by yeah. going through what's called, like I said, the physical screening test where you're measured on your ability to do push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and a 500-meter swim and a mile-and-a-half run. You kind of do it in succession and there's all these metrics that you have to hit to even be eligible. Mm -hmm. So... The way the stats work for SEAL attrition is right now, I think it's like 85% of SEAL trainees wash out. But that yeah. doesn't take into account the fact that many, many people can't even get the opportunity to go try. Okay. So the people that are trying, the 85% that don't make it, are already in great shape. Right. They've hit all the wickets they're supposed to because that initial screening test is just to get you in the door to begin training. And you have this huge pool of people that show up that are like world-class athletes. Like in my class, there was a guy who played for the Arizona Diamondbacks. There was at least two Olympic swimmers. Every class you have all these big names and they quit. Yeah. And it's not because they're not athletic. It's actually in my mind, and you see it throughout training, if you've been extremely successful athletically, right? and you've become like an Olympic swimmer, let's say, it's probably unlikely in your life that you've ever really struggled with swimming, right? You've probably put in a lot of work, no doubt. Right. But you've always kind of like won and yeah. kind of advanced to the highest level. In BUDS and in special operations selection programs in general, they're trying to force you into a position where you personally are singled out for not being as good as the rest of the class, even if it's not true, but it's a mind game. And if you're a person that is used to being exceptional, it hurts. Yeah. And guys are like, I'm better than this and I'm not doing this anymore because it also physically sucks because you're getting beat up. But the guys that are like me, 
I don't really have any notable accomplishments coming in. I'm very average in all respects physically. And so when it got really miserable for me, it wasn't my physical training that allowed me to get through. It was just that I was like, I expect this to be terrible and I'm just going to keep going. And I think that that is ultimately what kind of separates the people that are really prepared from the people that actually succeed. It's the mental resilience aspect. It's almost like when you talk to people that graduate yeah. SEAL training, it's rare that you would have a conversation with those people where they're like, oh yeah, I was thinking about quitting and I chose not to. Like I was like constantly fighting this urge to quit. Those conversations don't exist because the people that make it, it wasn't entertained as I'm going to quit. It's boy, I hope I don't break my leg. Boy, I hope I pass this test. Right. It involves like being underwater with three minutes of no air at a time for 20 minutes. There's all these things that are horrible, but it's not a back and forth with like, should I quit today or not? Yeah. It's, I don't want to get hurt today. When I went to the Elite Me last year, I met some of your folks in the community and they're saying that when they're going through selection and the training process, every time they would go back to the mess hall after some of these hard weeks or the hell week, the only people left would be like the weird gremlin looking oh, yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was like an interesting <laughs> statement because I think the media would say that these are your typical studs, physical specimens, which you guys sure. obviously are. You become, um, you don't start that way. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that you're like, yeah, there's a bunch of weird gremlins that are left yeah. in, in suction. Was that true in your experience? Yeah, it's absolutely true. It's kind of amazing when you get to the end, when you look around and you see who's made it. Yeah, It's like the farmer from down south and like the hotshot banker that decided to give up finance to come do this. This, the wannabe law school student from UMass. You have this random hodgepodge of people yeah. that some have somewhat notable backgrounds, but overall it's people that are like expecting to come into this and just grind. That is the expectation. Like this will be my biggest accomplishment. There's nothing else I've done that's on par with this. This is the biggest thing I'm going to do. And so it means so much to the group that actually gets through it. And I would say also the group, when you come in, it's so intimidating because when you show up to BUDS, you look around and it's literally professional athletes and Olympic athletes, like amazing people that, are, of course, they're here for training. Right. I think one of the biggest hurdles is getting over the fact that you feel really out of your league. I remember showing up for the first day of training, which starts at like three in the morning on the grinder, which is where you do all your the little duck feet are painted. It's a very famous picture. If you Google the grinder, this it's in like Coronado. Yeah, in Coronado. Yeah. And like, I remember looking around and I'm like smaller than everybody else. Everyone looks like these like fierce athletes. And I just was going to like, put my head down and just do it. But the guys that just put their heads down and do it are the ones that make it. And oftentimes they're kind of the gremlins that are just like, <laughs> I'm still here, I guess. Hi, listeners. Dr. Brianna Stubbs jumping in here quickly to share another really nice HVMN customer testimonial from Matt Walker, who runs a leadership and performance coaching business. Let's listen to what he has to say about Rise and Yawn, our nootropics for memory and nootropics for sleep. I take Rise daily, which really helps keep my energy levels going and keeps them stabilized. It's great. But most importantly, as a husband, father of two kids, and a small business owner, Yawn is what really makes the difference for me. It helps me go to sleep easily. And most importantly, I wake up in the morning feeling refreshed and ready to go without a feeling of hangover. Really glad to hear that Rise and Yawn are helping you perform your best each day, Matt. This month's special podcast offer is 15% off our HVMN performance supplement sign. So simply visit www.hvmn.com forward slash pod to claim this offer. Again, that is www.hvmn.com forward slash pod. This offer ends December 31st, 2018. So get there soon. Now back to the podcast.
Did you feel like you grew up with that mental resilience? Did you train that as you're prepping mentally as you're going to go into BUDS? Or did you find that while you were at BUDS? What distinguishes you and your fellow SEALs versus the people that washed out? It's not, it, doesn't, so, it doesn't sound like it's physical attributes necessarily. Right. Do you think this is trained, born, combination of both? Well, it's definitely not physical. I think that you have to say that you do need to be in good shape, yeah. right? Like there is a baseline. That's table six. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Most people have it coming in, the mentality. I don't think they necessarily know it because until you become a SEAL, until you go through training and you have now become a Navy SEAL, you don't have perspective to be able to say, oh, I, of course I had it. At the time when you're starting, you have no idea what you have. You're just a gremlin that's hoping for the best, right? In some ways, the not knowing is kind of a testament to your own resiliency because you're doing something that the world would say requires you to be this amazing athlete. It requires you to do all this different stuff. But the people that like, in spite of the way the world wants you to think it works to become a SEAL, in spite of all that, being this average sized person with no notable achievements still showing up says a lot about you. Mm -hmm. And so I think that people that their expectations in life is that it's going to be difficult or people that typically are more resilient. It's good to set your sights high. It's good to think that you're going to be successful, but also in order to be a mentally strong person to become a SEAL, for example, like the expectations sometimes need to be that this is going to be extremely difficult. And people that are used to that in their life, that are used to facing hardships, like that is part of their life. Those are mentally strong people. And that is the type of person that does really well in buds. So I would say probably there are people that maybe when they start a business, they have the opportunity to face real adversity for the first time, because I'm sure as you know, and in me growing Elite Me, there are some serious roller coasters of running a business. I think some people learn that they have that inside of them in entrepreneurship. That's definitely an area where you see people that are very mentally resilient. Yeah. So I think some people have it, they don't know it. If you go through SEAL training, you become a SEAL, you realize I had it all along. Right. But you got to have something in front of you that kind of pulls that out you of you. You almost have to have a test that's pulled yes. out of you, right? Yes. I think most of the world is in their soft, complacent bubble of safety. And I think that is an interesting point. How do you find that greatness within yourself? And you have to find a test to yeah. pull it out of you. And it's not a physical one. It needs to be whatever the hardest thing that you're going to do in life is. And it might show up at a left field. Right. When that happens, how do you handle it? Right. And it could be totally intellectual or, or it could be totally physical. But right. at the end of the day, it comes down to, are you still going to do it? Yeah. And I think a physical way is a very stable, uniform way to show adversity for everyone has different mental sticky points. But I think in the purpose of a SEAL selection, it's like the same physical stressors probably gets a good amount of adversity pulled out of people. Absolutely. So one thing that I thought was interesting is that because we've been working more and more with folks in the defense community and folks in athletic communities, the training blocks are pretty different. Because mm -hmm. if you think about an endurance athlete, they're really peaking for a marathon, which is one day, or you're peaking for a match or like a football game every single week. Sure. But when you guys deploy overseas, you're fighting for six months at a time. Yeah. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on now you're a SEAL, got your trident. What does that shift in training look like? There's a mindset change now that you're not just trying to pass a test. You're training to fight and potentially die. Yeah. It's funny. That is an excellent point to raise because becoming a SEAL is such a long process if you're successful, it takes a couple of years just to get your trident, you know, the insignia that designates you as a SEAL. And then also checking into a SEAL team for the first time as the new guy, it's like you're back to the bottom <laughs> times infinity. 
and you're treated like you're at the bottom and it takes a while to even get, earn any sort of credibility. So it's like all this time of like training and proving yourself, it's almost like you start to think that this is what being a SEAL is. Mm. It's all this, it's all the training and selection. And that's a big part of it. It's a big part of becoming a SEAL, but the job of a SEAL is a lot different than training. My first deployment, I went to Afghanistan. I tell my wife this, and I don't think that even still, I don't think she actually fully grasps this, but it's like, I was so gung-ho about becoming a SEAL and then getting validated by becoming one. It was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I'm so motivated. I'm so happy, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it's hard and all, but I'm happy. It's like very clear. And then it was like, and now you're going to Afghanistan. And I'm like, great. That's all I ever want to do. And I'm right. so fortunate. And then it was like the night before I was going to leave for Afghanistan. And I remember saying to my wife, like, hey, I'm actually feeling kind of nervous about this. And she was like, oh, you'll be fine. Because I had built a two-year-long campaign of John is a ready-to-go Navy SEAL who couldn't be happier. He's got no problems. He's so well-trained because every day, that's my narrative. Right. But at the end of the day, when it becomes time to do your job, it's far different than passing through training wickets. Yeah. Going to a combat zone where your job is effectively to go out and seek it, directly go find the enemy. Yeah. That's your job. You're going yeah, to you're, you're going to be on the front lines. Yeah. Or like get killed basically. Like that is a different exercise than training. And so yeah. I remember it dawned on me that my wife doesn't understand that like I'm actually pretty nervous about what's about to happen because <laughs> yeah. she looks at me as the guy that's like, oh, he's got to figure it out. And so I, I actually was part of what's called the Advon, which is basically when you deploy, yeah. it isn't like you just take all your guys and you just like you're suddenly in this new country that they, they do it in waves. Right. And there's like these turnover operations where you get a chance to kind of like meet the team that you're going to be relieving. Right. And so I was part of the Advon, not because I was special. It just happened. I think my last name being Alan, I was at the top of the roster. It's like, okay, you're going to go a week ahead of everybody else. And so never deployed before, right? Brand new SEAL. We fly to Afghanistan and it was just me, two of my senior people in the platoon that had deployed, you know, to Iraq and Afghanistan. This was like nothing for them. Yeah. And I'm like the token new guy that has no idea what I'm doing. And I remember I'm nervous. I'm thinking about the kind of reality of what I'm actually getting into, that it's dawning on me a day before. And we fly into Afghanistan. And I remember when we got into Afghanistan airspace, the plane turns on their red lights and they tell you to stay away from the windows, which is kind of ridiculous that like that's a big threat, but you're in a combat zone. You could get shot at or like we could get shot down. And so it's very apparent when you go from I'm going to deploy to Afghanistan to I'm in Afghanistan. And when we landed, I remember getting out and you step onto the, the tarmac, if you will, because it's a pretty built up base that we landed in. Okay. And you look around and in all 360 directions, there's mountains, like beautiful mountains. It's beautiful. And there are these blimps, like think Goodyear blimp, okay? These like gray blimps, just all around 360 degrees everywhere. You just see these blimps popped up, maybe like 30, 40, 50 of them in, in every direction. And they have cameras on them. And it basically represents where there's a NATO presence because they have they want to survey the area. Right. And so it's this beautiful backdrop of mountains. And then you just see these blimps that represent that this is a war zone, right? And yeah. so I remember being like, I can't believe I'm actually here. It's like the imposter syndrome, right? I'm like thinking to myself, what have I got myself into here? Am I really like a Navy SEAL in Afghanistan? And so we get to our site, which is not the base. We had to go way into the kind of wilderness, if you will, because that's kind of where special operators go is like at the fringe. And I remember the night before, uh, or whether we, we arrive and I go into my like Connex box, that's like kind of where I was staying. And like, I'm not a very religious person. And I remember getting on my knees and praying for about an hour. Wow. Because I just felt like this is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die because I never really thought that like the job itself is actually quite dangerous. 
But it's kind it's, of all training in your mind. It's at, all at, training. Until that point. But what I wanted to say to get to the point of your yeah. question, in order to survive in that environment, whether you're a SEAL or a Marine or any other person in a combat zone, you turn into this like primal being where the only thing that matters is survival. And it's bigger than that. You're not like this like idiot walking around clubbing people. But the way you start to think is living through a day, living through an operation, making sure your teammates are all good to go. That is the only thing that matters. And the weird thing about being in a combat zone is you actually begin to relax in a way that you won't relax anywhere else. Huh. I slept like a baby every night. I would sleep for 14 hours at a time. It was the best sleep of my life. Because again, the stakes are very simple. You need to live. That's it. You need to live. And if you've lived, there's nothing else bothering you. Nothing else can penetrate your mind. And you kind of get into this mind state of like, it's very primal. And so I would say that it's hard at first to get into the real job. But when you do, it's, it's almost like very natural. It's like humans are prepared to be in that space. And if you add in the millions and millions of dollars in training, you become a bit of a savage and you are doing God's work in another country. It basically sounds like the flip switch when you're there and you just yeah. your training sort of auto kicked in. And, and it's you were profound. Just, you were and you're aware of it too. Yeah. You're aware that you have adjusted to being in a world where like our particular site, we had a very real suicide bomber threat yeah. all the time. We would wake up sometimes when there were no operations or anything and people would just be like shooting arbitrarily at our base. And this is not a built up base. This is like an offsite. This is a fairly vulnerable position, but hey, yeah. you're SEALs. You'll be fine there. You live in a world where if a suicide bomber ran up on our site and detonated and there was a full-blown like complex attack on us and we all got killed, it wouldn't even be surprising to the world because right. that's where we are. Right. If a bunch of guys got killed in Afghanistan where we were located, it wouldn't be surprising to anyone. Like imagine it hits the media. It'd be sad, no doubt, but it wouldn't surprise anyone. It's expected right. side casualties. But being the person in that space when you yeah. realize that you're living in a place where if I get killed, it's 100% expected. Like, yeah, that's too bad. It's crazy being in that yeah. space. And then your brain is like trained to learn how to handle it and it becomes Do you miss that simplicity? I think that, especially I think in the civilian world where most people's problems are social constructs. Yeah. Uh, these are social problems in terms of basically fictions that society has created that are really, really harming people or stressing people out. Do you miss the simplicity of a primal existence where your daily existence is living or dying? I think that there definitely is a sentiment amongst people that have deployed to combat zones of like, they miss it. They don't actually miss doing maybe the dangerous stuff. Maybe they do. But the camaraderie that is developed amongst a group of people that are in that space, that kind of primal space, yeah. is truly one of the most profound things you'll ever see. Yeah. The relationships you build with people that, like I'm, I've literally laid down next to a wall taking rounds with my friend and we're like laughing to each other because, not because we're cool, but because that's the space you're in. Yeah. Being around people that are on a daily basis risking their lives with you, the only word I can think of is profound. Yeah. And so I miss that level of connection that you can't get anywhere else, including family. Sorry, family. It's true. This is a place that exists only for the people that do it. So I don't miss being in a combat zone, but I'll definitely always remember what it was like to be mentally that engaged with other people. Where it's beyond family, it is like you are linked. Yeah, it's a shared intimacy that you don't really get to experience with many other people. Yeah. But just like being fired on at the same time and defining it's, each other's lives. It's incredible. So I think with Elite Meet now, are you in some lens trying to capture that brotherhood, that camaraderie as you're transitioning these guys into 
civilian life. I mean, how does that experience make what you do today more informed? I think for context, when we started Elite Meet, it really was just going to be a couple events where we brought the Navy SEALs and fighter pilots and we connected with some employers and hopefully got some jobs yeah. out of it. But what happened is early on, we decided that we were going to exclusively focus on the elite veterans. And it's less because we think they're better suited for corporate America or something, but more because they do have a very specific experience in the military. And there's a kinship that comes with being disproportionately the people that go and actually do the war fighting. And so when we decided that, look, we are gonna screen and evaluate people that are coming into our membership, we're looking for like that elite caliber veterans. Once you do all that screening and you have all these like SEALs and Green Braves and fighter pilots and all these amazing people coming together for these events that on paper look like they are networking events, and they are, I'm not acting like they're not, they totally are. But really what happens is it turns into this kind of revival of a little bit of that camaraderie you would get. Because in some ways, the transition space from active to not, like you're losing a big part of your identity. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I put so much into becoming a SEAL. I mean, I'm so happy that I get to stay connected through Elite Meet. But I mean, I understand that I'm, I'm, I lose a part of my identity when I transition out. And so a lot of these guys, it's not life or death, but it's very stressful. And being around other people that are in transition, that understand the experiences of being one of America's true warfighters. Being in the same space with them at these events and on our Slack channel that's like super engaged, right? It does kind of serve as a bit of a support group or a community almost more than being this like job platform. Now, we have our goals, which is to get them jobs, but this group of people, it clicks. And so people are definitely feeling well-supported in this transition because it's that similar kind of extreme anxiety, but with the right group of people in the room. Just hearing your backstory around it, I think that's an interesting point. How do you lose and transition your identity? I'm curious to hear a little bit about your story. I mean, it sounds like it's almost like a childhood dream at that point around, okay, my greatest accomplishment was getting that trident. Now yeah. I'm deploying, now I'm fighting. I think what you served like eight years in the Navy. Yeah. How did you digest and realize that, okay, my time as a SEAL is gonna wrap up. What did you learn from that transition period? How did you reinvent yourself as right. now being a CEO of a nonprofit? Well, I think it's important to understand that my transition in many ways is a true anomaly for this group huh. because I basically got to leave the SEAL teams as a SEAL and then stay totally connected to the SEAL teams and to other special operations units and the fighter pilot communities just as a civilian. Like I am intimately connected to those groups. Now I'm not deploying with them, so I'm not getting that intimacy that we described earlier. Right. But I really don't think of myself as an active duty SEAL. I think of myself as like an entrepreneur who works with that community. But realistically, like I probably don't have to go through what many of these folks will do, which is when they transition out of being a SEAL and they become a banker. Well, that's a jump, right? And yeah. like, if they're not running a nonprofit that works with getting SEALs and fighter pilots jobs, they're probably not really that well connected. And so I don't think that I had as big of that kind of identity crisis that many of the people in this community do get. So with that as context, it was still very difficult to go from being a SEAL and being in the military to being a civilian. And for me, the biggest thing was, I guess, like learning how to speak civilian. But the cool thing about what, being- No a, alphabet soup or something? Yeah, but the, the, the funny <laughs> thing was like, in virtue of going through SEAL training, which in some ways for the people that make it, it's a big metaphor for like, fake it till you make it, right? Like I show up to BUDS and I'm surrounded by professional athletes and Olympic swimmers and stuff. Right. And like, here I am. 
it's like, I was like, well, I'm just going to fake it till I make it. I'm going to act like I'm supposed to be here. Right. I kind of employed that tactic in beginning to run elite meet, which was, I'm just not going to let people know that I'm either intimidated or don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to be really direct, really confident and be prepared to say things like, you know, I'd like to learn more about that, but I need to ask a couple of questions to clarify, but being kind of aggressively confident can get you through a lot of scenarios. And yeah. I think that that is something that I've had to be much more deliberate about because there is a definite knowledge gap for me. Like running a company in the civilian world, even though it's a nonprofit that's veteran focused, we're talking to people in the private sector all day long. Right. And half the time I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> but I'm the guy, right? Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's a mixture of, you know, you hit up Wikipedia and Google, you learn some things. Right. But you can't let on that you don't know what you're doing because it eats away at your credibility. Right. So I definitely employ a lot of what I learned in being a SEAL, which is at the end of the day. It's like, sound like self-awareness. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. it is. So yeah, fake it till you make it is kind of what I've used. And I think that's helped me dramatically. And I think we definitely push on our guys and gals that come into elite meet. Like, look, stop worrying about not being well-credentialed or being properly credentialed or not fully understanding the role that you do want to get into or you're interested in. Just be really stupidly confident about it. I mean, like, don't go into something totally blind, but like, be prepared to just do it, right? Like, that's kind of what you did to, to earn the insignia that you wear on your chest from the military. Right. That is an applicable thing that people from these communities have. Right. That you can just kind of fake it till you make it and people will, will totally not see it. If you like go into a role that you maybe aren't necessarily fully ready for, but you're confident, you ask the right questions and you really like dive into it, and then you end up becoming successful, which these people are like destined to do. Right. No one's going to know any better. Yeah. So why tip them off that you're not totally sure? You just don't do that. Yeah, it's funny because you would think that the folks that have gone through selection have confidence, but it sounds like the confidence doesn't necessarily transfer automatically to different domains. It definitely does not. In fact, I would say that the confidence that is built, it's very team centric. I mean, that it is part of being a SEAL and an operator and a fighter pilot that you're part of a team. Right. Like your success really is the team's success. The things that matter are the team. And so it's kind of like a group confidence. It's like you feel invincible with your team. Being pulled out of your team and removing your trident, let's say, it's a very different world. You have it inside of you, but it's almost like someone needs to tell you like, hey, remember who you are. Yeah. Remember what got you to that team in the first place. And it was your ability to just put your head down and do it. So I yeah. think it's a, a little bit of a push, but like anything else, like we were talking about earlier, I think sometimes you just need to like be in those adverse situations to test yourself a little bit. Right. And I think even though these folks through Elite Meet have been tested to become operators and fighter pilots, there's definitely another test coming, which is the corporate world. It's the right. private sector. It's starting Someone a business. Life, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's all about these social like, contracts. You're not getting, yeah. the, the danger is no longer bullets coming at you, but there's a, just as intimidating social bullets, if you will, yes. coming at you. And they also have the idea that like one of the things we talk about is, you know, so so me being a former SEAL, it's not unusual for people to say things like, oh, you'll figure it out. You were a SEAL. Oh, no bullets are flying at you. This is so much better. Yeah. You're a SEAL. You'll figure it out. It's like that actually makes it even harder because now there's pressure on me to it's be like really good for you. Yeah. because I did this other thing that in many ways is not really related to this new yeah. thing. But part of the deal is you just got to own it. It's a good problem to have. One of the things I thought was interesting, I really credit your group like pulling me into the military community was that growing up, I grew up in a suburb in Los Angeles, went to school at Stanford, didn't know anyone that had served in the military. And after working with the community for the last year, year and a half, I just felt like I've just understood America better, where you understand what these individuals are doing, their patriotism and the sacrifices that an entire family is going through. And a little bit of the sentiment of 
the pride of being an American, where I think in a lot of the civilian cases, we're in a very lucky, fortunate first world country. And it's almost like it's easy or almost cool to hate on some of the things that have gone wrong in, yeah. in your civic neighborhood. What do you wish that broader civilians understand about service that you feel like just is missing now or think something that you just want to recapitulate and underline? It's easy to look at the politics of the military. We live in a very kind of socially, uh, politically charged world. Yeah. And it's easy to focus on decision, strategic decisions that America is making and how it uses the military. And But what people forget is that there really are people that whether they personally agree or not with the politics, there will always be people in the front lines risking their lives for things they may or may not fully believe in. that's their job. And so yeah. sometimes it's useful for people that maybe are thinking more politically about the military, go spend some time with people in the military and it will change your perspective dramatically. You don't have to meet a Navy SEAL, meet anybody that served overseas. Because I tell you what, they're people too and they face very real risks. And sometimes you gotta remember that at the end of the day, it's not politics, it's people. And then for potential employers or folks looking to get involved, how do people get plugged into Elite Meet? I know obviously employers, that's an interesting thing to potentially connect with. Folks that want to contribute, that's obviously interesting to connect with. Where have you seen the most success with your community members, the folks that are coming from special operations and going to the civilian world? Where are some success stories? Where do you see patterns in terms of these community folks really excelling? So in terms of getting involved, we do have a formal process for companies that want to hire. We actually don't charge recruiting fees because we're a nonprofit. There's no fee. And so you need to go on our website and fill out an application if you're a company that's interested in hiring from this group. It sets up a call with us. We talk through what you need. And, and if it's a good fit, we'll actually match you with some people in our database, some of the members, and then we can send them on your way. And again, no fees. So it's definitely like we're looking for good fits more than anything else. In terms of success stories and really in terms of where do these folks most often land, we really don't have like a, oh, everybody does this, right? To be honest, it's been pretty random. I mean, there's job opportunities as far reaching as like plastics plant manufacturer in South Dakota to banker in Southern California to some operations gig in Boston at some food lab to a typical sales role in Nebraska, right? Like they're all over the place. I think the reality is, is what's happening at Elite Meet is you have a group of people that come in thinking that they're interested in really four main things. They want to get into finance, which is obviously huge, right? So broadly speaking, finance, entrepreneurship, technology, and consulting. Those are typically the four that you see people getting interested in. But when they actually see what's out there, and again, we do expose them to a myriad of opportunities, they oftentimes realize that the four things that seem the sexiest and most right. obvious paths are usually not what they want to do. All they want to do is be in a team that they actually have real impact. So that is the most common place that you see success is when they're plugged into a team where they have actual real ground level impact because that's what they're used to doing. I mean, I think well said. Uh, again, thank you for your service and thanks for dropping by. How do people find you? So you can find Elite Meet at elitemeet.us. That's our website. On there, if you're a veteran and you want to be a part of this thing, we'll accept any application from any veteran and we'll go through the interview process with you. So there's a very clear button that says veteran applying here. For hiring partners, those are people that want to hire from this group. It's the same deal. We need to talk to you and vet the opportunity, make sure it's a good fit. If it is, we'll connect you with our guys. If you're looking at being a mentor or attending an event, there's a volunteer button as well. On LinkedIn, you can find me, John Allen. It's like the most common name ever. So good luck finding <laughs> me. But hopefully if you throw Elite Meet in there, you'll find me. All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate hey, thanks, it. Thanks, Jeff. 
Thanks for tuning in this week, everyone. Remember to check out www.hvmn.com slash pod for this month's special podcast offer. For December 2018, that offer is 15% off our entire HVMN performance supplements line. This is the perfect holiday gift for your friends, family, or even just treating yourself. Are you interested in getting $15 worth of HVMN store credit that you can use on our website? Submit a written review on our iTunes page and send that screenshot to podcast at hvmn.com. Our podcast email line is always open for your suggestions, feedback, and questions. Until next week, friends, stay sharp and train smart.